Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I am so happy that you joined us for this episode of This Week in the Word at dredhill.podbean.com. This is episode four of Revelation, God Rules. The title of episode four is Throne Room. It's for Sunday, January 29th, 2023. Well, let's get to it. I want to give you a quick introduction. Today, we're going into Revelation 4 and 5, and I know what regular listeners are thinking right now. Pastor Ed, we've already been in Revelation 4. Well, we're going to stay there a little bit today and also complete Revelation chapter 5. And I want to give you a very quick introduction. From this point forward, from Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, clearly from what it literally says, we are going to see what is future, even to us now. What is future? And we're going to see earth in this future from heaven's viewpoint. So far, Uh, Not everything we've seen in Revelation has been relating to the earth, but especially chapters 2 and 3 with the churches was focused uh, very closely on the earth. And you'll remember that as you think back to the episodes prior to this one. So now, though, we're going to see what is future, and we're going to see earth like heaven sees it. So I want to make a point here, and I want to drive this home for theologians and denominations and even individual Christians who are trapped within replacement theology, uh, Augustinian theology from St. Augustine, where everything is spiritualized and it's not interpreted literally and correctly, but it's always interpreted symbolically. And Israel is replaced by the church. That's, that's what's taught within Augustinian theology and replacement theology. Uh, I think I would be correct in saying that that would also be, you could also call it Reformed theology. Same idea because it all derives from St. Augustine who tried to blend Christian truth with uh, Greek philosophy. And that's what messed up a good bit of his theology as it relates to Bible prophecy. Now, those who are trapped, and uh, I'm not going to spend the whole uh, episode talking like this, okay, but I'm trying to help you here. Those who are unknowingly or knowingly trapped within replacement theology always say that what we're about to read in the remaining parts of Revelation, a good bit of it anyway, was already fulfilled in 70 AD when Rome destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. There's a problem with that viewpoint, and here it is. (laughs) We're told clearly, as we'll see in a few minutes, that what we're going to read from Revelation 4.1 and forward is future is certainly future to John, and I'll show you in a minute why we know it's still future to us. It was future to John when it it was told to him and he wrote it down. 
this part. Well, how do we know that? Because we know that the Apostle John recorded the vision he was given by the Lord Jesus Christ on the Isle of Patmos, and we call it the book of the Revelation. He recorded that in the, the let's say, the mid to late 90s A.D. That was after 70 A.D. And the light just came on for many. <laughs> so, you can't say that what we're going to study in the, the next few weeks and months has already been fulfilled. It has not been fulfilled because it was future even to John when it was given to him. If it had already been fulfilled, then it would have been under the title of what, like what was. You, you follow that, that, that outline of Revelation, what was, what is, and what is to come? The, the rest of it we're going to see is under what is to come. It's the future. Hear me clearly. Nothing remotely close to what we're going to study in the remaining parts of the book of the Revelation has ever happened on a global scale on planet Earth. Nothing. Not even the worst parts of World War II. But it will, and it's closer than you think. Now listen, to track with me as we move forward in Revelation, you have got to catch up with us. So you have some homework, and it's simple, and here it is. Listen to episodes one, two, and three that are obviously are prior to this episode, or you will be needlessly confused about how I'm approaching the book of the Revelation. But let me just give one example right here. In Revelation chapters 1 through 3, we see the, the phrase church, church, churches, churches, you know, church, church, churches, churches, over and over. And I, I counted, and I think I miscounted last week, but... You can go back and count it, and you'll see for yourself. It's a bunch of times. Church, church, churches, churches in Revelation verses 1 through 3. Then, without explanation, the church disappears from Revelation until we see her again in Revelation 19, coming with Jesus Christ from heaven. How did the church get there? It just disappeared. Well, I think we have the answers we're going to see today. Now, I want to read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18. This is about what is called the rapture of the church. Now, for people who say, the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. Hey, Come on, you got to go listen to the episode, episodes previous to this one, especially episode three. I don't have time to go into all of it, but the English word doesn't appear there, but the English word comes from the Latin word rapturo, and that is the Latin word for the Greek word snatch, caught up, you know, that idea. Like if your child was chasing their ball into oncoming traffic, you would snatch your child out of the path of that car heading toward them. 
that idea, a violent seizing, a removing, a grabbing, a snatching. And that word certainly is used, as we're going to see right here in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 14 through 18. Other phrases used to describe the rapture of the church is gathering together and caught up. Anyway, you've got to listen to episode three prior to this one, and you'll catch up with us. But this is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 14 through 18. For if we believe, and it's the idea of sense, you know, obviously. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That's the believers who already died. And we're still living, but they've already died. Their body may be in the ground, but their spirit and soul are with the Lord right now to be. We know from the Bible, from the New Testament, to be absent from the body is to what? To be present with the Lord, okay? That's an open and shut case. So your loved ones and friends who love Jesus, who've already passed away, really they passed over spiritually and soulishly. They're with the Lord. They never died. Their body died, but they didn't die. Isn't that great? Now, so what's going to happen? Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This is, this is the word of God, the word of Jesus right here. For this we send to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That is, we're not going to be raptured before their bodies are resurrected and raptured, okay? They're not going to, bodily speaking, their body is not going to be left behind. Their body's going before we're raptured. Verse 16, I'm reading all this for a reason. You see how it ties in with Revelation 4. For the Lord himself, so he's not sending an angel to get us. The rapture involves him coming to get us himself. He told us about this in John 14, and you can read about it in John 14. Go read it. Read it yourself. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So our our loved ones and friends and fellow church members who love the Lord, they've already passed away, they're with the Lord, still alive uh, spiritually, and you know they're, st- they're with him, but their bodies are resurrected. All right, and then they're they're glorified. They're given a new body, and they're made whole again, so to speak. You could think of it like that. Verse seventeen. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's that word in, in the Greek. It's that idea of see, violently seizing someone, like you're you're snatching them from danger. And if this was in a Latin text, it would be the word rapturo. You get it? All right, I hope we settled that. (laughs) So there's going to be a generation of Christians that are alive who've not died that the Lord comes to take out of this world. That's the rapture. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So notice here, 
in this passage, the Lord comes in the air to catch up his bride, the church, and and we're going to meet the Lord not on the earth when he comes back in the second coming, but we're going to meet him in the air and we're going to be with him that way forever. And if you go to John 14, you'll see that he's been preparing a place for us and where that and he comes back to get us so that where he is we might be also it doesn't make sense that that we're meeting him to come to the earth we're going where he's been preparing a place that's the rapture of the church people now i mentioned last week and i've got to do this again it is so exciting if you go on youtube and you google ken johnson on YouTube, I think that's all you'll have to do. You'll see all of his videos. This guy is a genius, a language genius and a theological genius. God blesses the church from time to time with people like this. I don't even know if he's got a degree, but he clearly deserves one. <laughs> Ken Johnson is an, is an expert at translating ancient languages. He says if it's new, he doesn't want to read it. It's got to be something old that he can translate. Ken Johnson has been busy translating the Dead Sea Scrolls. Did you know that the a, a vast percentage of the Dead Sea Scrolls have never been translated from their original languages? And he's been busy doing that. And these were preserved by a group called the Essenes. And they were, by let's put it in today's terms, even though they were doing this well over 2,000 years ago. They are what we would call today Bible-believing theological conservatives. That's what they were, even then. And the Essenes preserved the writings of the prophets, and we know today that our translations of the Bible are accurate. There's no question about that because we can go back and see what they preserve. It's the same thing. Now, they preserve these in the caves in the Qumran community, and they did this, I think I'm correct to say, and probably at least five, four, five hundred, three hundred years, something like that, before the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth to be born in Bethlehem. So well before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm building my point here, so don't go to sleep on me. You're about to be wowed and amazed, not by me, but what Ken Johnson discovered. Here's what he discovered to his amazement and his excitement. What the, what the Essenes preserved before Christ was born in Bethlehem and what they continued to preserve after uh, Christ was resurrected and ascended, like the writings of the early church fathers. Now, let me define that. What is that? Well, think of it in football. You have the defensive line. That's the apostles. The last one uh, died eventually, and that was John, who wrote the book of the Revelation. But the second line of defense is what? The linebackers, right? And the cornerbacks. 
Well, the early church fathers were like the linebackers. They were the they were directly mentored by the apostles directly as John mentored and discipled Polycarp as an example. And then Polycarp uh, discipled um, uh, men, and now I'm forgetting the name. You got to go back to last week's uh, Irenaeus. That's what it is. That's who it is. All right, so anyway, the early church fathers preserved what they were discipled on by the apostles about the rapture of the church, about the return of Christ, about the tribulation, about many things. This is what Ken Johnson has been documenting. Now, you will not hear this in your liberal church. You will not hear this in most seminaries. Maybe even a lot of Bible colleges haven't caught up with this yet. Listen carefully. The Essenes and all of the all, all, all of the early church fathers, when you read the totality of what they wrote, not just one sentence, the Essenes who preserved all of this and all of the early church fathers believed in a pre-tribulation rapture and that it would be followed by a tribulation. Does that blow your mind or what? And this has not been known until recently with the work of Ken Johnson. Don't believe me? Go to YouTube, Google his name or search for it, however you do that and watch his videos, and your jaw is going to drop open. The same things that Bible-believing, Jesus-honoring Christians believe and teach today about the rapture and future Bible prophecy has been believed to the letter exactly the same way from, this is going to blow your mind for sure, all the way back to the very start, like Enoch, who was raptured, what he taught about that before he was raptured himself, personally. And this has been the belief of that remnant of people who knew the Lord through all of time after the fall of man to the Essenes to now. All the other things that are taught that are different is it's error, and it is not what has been traditionally believed and preserved. All right, let's get going. The throne room, what are we talking about? This is a throne room of God in heaven that we're going to see shortly here. The throne room is filled with the worship of God from which comes the wrath of God. Now, the lesson learned here is that God, not Satan, is in control. And God, not Satan, Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist, is running the 70th prophetic week of Daniel. We call it the tribulation. That seven weeks where it's every every Seven, um, 70th week where every day is stands for a year, so seven years. It's also in the Old Testament called the time of Jacob's 
trouble. Jacob is what? Israel, not the church. And you can't mix the two. We saw last week from 1 Corinthians 10.32, I believe is the verse, that there are only three categories of people on the earth. That it's not black and white and Hispanic and rich and poor and all of that. It's not, that's not what it is. It's Jews, Gentiles, which is, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, you're a non-Jew. So it's Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God. That's it. If you're a true Christian in the church, you're the part of the bride of Christ, then your new identity is as a new man, as a Christian in the church. But if people are not saved, then they are either Jewish, whether they're religious or not, or they're non-Jewish, Gentiles, whether they're religious or not. That's the only three groups of people. The church is not the Gentiles. The Gentiles is not the Jews. The church is not the Jews. Uh, Israel is not the church. It's all distinct. If you mix that up, you are in hopeless trouble in interpreting Bible prophecy. But if you keep that straight, you will find it much easier to understand. Now, let me reread that sentence. I want you to get the whole thing and not have me break it up. The lesson learned here is that God, not Satan, is in control. And God, not Satan, Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist, is running the 70th prophetic week of Daniel, the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, and the war on Antichrist's global government and global religion and global economic system and the beast worshipers. The end is already written and God wins. Amen. And if we're on God's side, we win. That's what you need to know. Now, let's go to Revelation 6, verses 15 to 17. Uh, Pastor Ed, aren't you supposed to be going to Revelation 4? We will in a minute, but I'm gonna, I want you to see something. Revelation 6, 15 to 17. Now, we're going to do Revelation 6 and episode 5 next week, but I'm jumping ahead because it's going to apply to what we're going to see here in a moment in Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 6, verses 15 to 17. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bond man and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men. I'm sorry, I have um, somehow... I don't know how I did this. I have doubled up every verse. So let me, let, me, let me reread that, but only once. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? 
What an odd phrase, the wrath of the lamb. And this is like a small lamb, a little lamb, the wrath of the lamb. Let me read that verses 16 and 17 again. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? We're going to see great deliverance and great blessing on the heavenly citizens and great judgment and wrath on the earth dwellers as we go forward in the book of the Revelation. Now, here we are in Revelation 4, and we're going to read through Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 uh, straight through. I won't take you through a lot of theology. I will make some comments as we go. So Revelation 4, verses 1 through 11. After this, I look, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Now, notice that phrase in Revelation 4.1, after this. After what? Just after the Lord went through the seven churches in Asia, uh, Asia Minor, which is Western Turkey, uh, seven churches that were on a, a kind of a circular postal route. There was a letter to the pastor or the angel, whichever it is, of each church of what the Lord, how he estimated each one of those actual, literal, local, physical churches that existed by that name in Asia Minor when at the very time John wrote it. They were all real churches. They also, uh, especially in the order they're given and what's said to them and about them, they parallel exactly the pattern and flow of church history. And it's easier for us to see that today looking back because we've got to be in the Laodicean age of the church where the professing church is ashamed of the Lord and his word and deny him that bought them. It's hard to find a church today which loves the Lord and loves the Bible. That's an increasingly true fact. Churches that you used to respect, you have seen them lose their ever-loving minds and go off the deep end theologically. What a disaster. What a shame. They should repent. But the sixth church mentioned was the Philadelphian church. That was a church about which there was no criticism. They weren't perfect. In fact, they, it said they, they, they had what was good about them. Let's put it like this. The Lord commended them because they did not give up on his word or give up on him. They, they kept the word of God and they loved the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. These were the great evangelistic churches, many of which still exist today, the great missionary movements, Bible-believing churches. Now, uh, and, and that lead people to a, a living faith and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? Those kind of churches. 
You know what I'm talking about. And you know whether your church you go to is like that or not. If it's not, get out. Find you a Philadelphia church. Anyway, that church was promised that there was that they would they would be kept from, like kept out of, kept away from a a terrible time that was coming on the earth. Go back and read it. And we believe that refers to the rapture of the church. It wasn't told to them that the Lord would be with them in it, take them through it, guard them, protect them, deliver them in it, out of it, whatever. They would be kept from that hour. And that hour would come upon the whole earth and it would try the earth dwellers. That's a common contrast in the book of the Revelation. Right now, you are either a heavenly citizen as a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, but I'm living right here on earth. Doesn't matter. Your citizenship is in heaven. Just trust me on that. That's Bible. You're either a heavenly citizen right now, or you are an earth dweller. Whatever the next big popular thing is, you will be all over it like white on rice. You know pop culture like nobody's business. You are in the spirit of this age, the zeitgeist, the Germans would say, that controls the flow and thinking and everything in this age. If the government tells you to do something crazy, you're first in line. If they tell you to do it four more times, you go back every time and you do it every time. <laughs> Hello? That's, that's probably a good sign of being an earth dweller because you have no clue what's going on. All right, I'm getting off of that, but you kind of get what I'm aiming at here. So either way, you are either a heavenly citizen right now or you an earth dweller, and there's no middle ground. And we're going to develop this a little more as we go. So after the Lord gets talking about the churches and, and we believe the age, the history of the churches, it like and that would have been what is when John wrote it, right? What was, what is, that's the church age, the age of grace. We're still in that right now, but I think we're at the end. After this, I look, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Now, I got to tell you, people, there should be no door opened in heaven that people can go through because we do not deserve to go into heaven. None of us. But John says, after this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Reminds us of Revelation 1, and it reminds us of what we just read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. The trumpet, remember that? And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So he... He is catching John up to heaven and is going to show him the future, which would be after the apostle John. This would be the future of the world, prophetically. I believe this symbolizes the church being taken to heaven. Now, I know what some will say, oh, no, 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 you can't, well, uh, hey, 
you can't prove me wrong, period. And there has to be a rapture somewhere in Revelation. That's one of the most important events in Bible prophecy. And I think this is it. Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, we don't know if John was physically raptured and allowed to come back to the earth. We don't know that. Like Paul talks about a similar experience. He didn't know if he was in the body or not. Doesn't matter. John is a Christian. He's an apostle of the church, and he comes up to heaven. That's something only God can do. I can't say, you know, I think I'll go to heaven today. We can't do that. John was was called up, and he sees things which must be hereafter. All right, verse 2. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Now these seats, by the way, are also thrones. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. All right, so who who are these elders that are especially pointed out, the 24 elders? I believe it's the church in heaven. That's what it represents. Say, so, well, it doesn't say that. Well, let me tell you why I think that. I think that because, and by the way, let's go ahead and get it out of the way. Why are there 24 seats? I do not know the answer to that. It could be because it may parallel that there were 24 courses of priests that tended to the temple. And the church, we've been made kings and priests unto God, right? We'll see that right here today. Maybe that's why. I don't know. There's a, there's many things like that in Revelation that we can speculate about. And when we get to heaven, God, if he wants to, will explain it all. But that could be what it is. But here's why I think it's the church. And upon the seats, I saw four and 20 elders sitting. And by the way, remember from Ephesians that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So there's four and 20 elders sitting. Now notice that they're clothed in white raiment. We are promised to be clothed in white. But here's where I think, what is the clincher? And they had on their heads crowns of gold, a Stephanus, a, a, a victor's crown, like the Olympic Games. Angels might wear white raiment. We know that sometimes they do, but they don't wear crowns. That is reserved for the church. We're promised for our service to the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be rewarded with crowns, various crowns. I think this is the church. And if it's not, we're never told who they are. That's got to be the church right there. So the church 
John is raptured and he sees the church in heaven now. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. So this is no ordinary human throne like we think of that. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, I've explained this in the last two episodes. Go back and listen. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts. These are creatures of God, four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. So the eyes represent intelligence and knowledge. They know what's going on. And as you know, we we look and we see and we can see what's going on, right? And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast, was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now let's stop right there. I mentioned that worship is the atmosphere of heaven, and it is it is the normal Uh, the normal attitude and experience of someone who is born again. It doesn't mean we don't have hard days. We do. But when we get right down to the very core of it, we are filled with wonder and worship of God. When we are delighted by the activities of our pet dog, I've often thought God created this dog and this dog brings pleasure to me, and he brings pleasure to God. Think about that. When dogs bark and do what dogs do, they're doing what God created them to do. When I see a field of flowers or a beautiful garden, I often, often think my father made that, and I'm moved to worship. When I see a hawk, gliding, soaring on the upper drafts. I'm amazed. My God made that. He made the whole system. When I see squirrels, and a squirrel can cross an intersection using his hands and feet, walking on a utility wire across a freeway, 
never fall off. Do you realize the superhuman strength that's involved in that little animal doing that? My God created that squirrel. It was his idea. When I see the mountains or my children or grandchildren, my father created all of that. I'm moved to worship. By the way, for you evolutionists out there who say you're Christians, but you allow for evolution, Revelation 4 verse 11 blows that up. God created all things. They didn't evolve. God created them. I want, without going into great detail, I want to just say you have been misled if you believe there is some way to mesh evolutionary error with biblical creation. There is not, and you don't need to either, because it's a lie and you've been deceived. Even many scientists are walking away from evolution, even if they don't believe in God. They know it is not correct. Let's go to Revelation 5, verses 1 through 14. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. In John's day, when a book was written, it would be uh, the intent, the contents would be protected, secured with a wax seal, and the sender would put their signet ring in it. So that if the seal was broken, someone would know that the contents could have been altered or tampered with. This scroll, this book, has seven seals on it. What is this book? We don't know exactly. There are many theories. Some believe that it may be the title deed to the earth where the Lord takes back the earth to dominate it forever. Or it could be a battle plan like what's going to happen going forward in the book of the Revelation. And that that certainly is in the scroll. But we don't know exactly the the uh, significance of the book, except that it is a very significant book or scroll. Verse two, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now, when John heard this, very understandably, he might have thought that he was going to turn and see the Messiah, the great King David's greater son. Verse six, and I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne, 
and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. This word for lamb is a, a small lamb, a young lamb, like a sacrificial lamb for the temple. And the word slain means slaughtered. I think he saw blood on this lamb. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. Horns in the Bible often represent power, and the eyes, of course, often represent intelligence or knowledge, wisdom. Having seven horns and seven eyes, and seven is the number of completion, so perfect power and strength and perfect knowledge and intelligence and wisdom, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So John, you remember in Revelation 1 when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, essentially it killed him and he fell on his face as dead. The Lord had to raise him back up. That's how powerful that vision of the Lord Jesus Christ was to John the Apostle in Revelation 1. Here, he turns probably expecting to see the Lord Jesus Christ that way, and he sees him represented as a sacrificial lamb that has been slain. And yet this lamb is God. Amen. Verse 7, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials of full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. So what are they doing here? They are worshiping the Lamb. Jesus Christ is God. He receives worship that is due only to God. And he is rightly worshiped that way. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Wow, this is, this is the church here, by the way. One more reason we know the 24 elders are the church is because they are among those who say that they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Well, we know that angels are not, so that eliminates the creatures and the angels. And the, the Jewish people will be resurrected at the end of the... Uh, Tribulation, I think I'm getting that right. I might, might have been mixing up something there, but 
I could be wrong on that. I'm going to check that. But anyway, I think they are. But they're not in heaven yet, right? You follow what I'm saying? Let's just stick with that part. And the only ones that, that we see listed that need to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb are people. And the people that are there are the Christians, the church. Because Israel has not been fully dealt with yet. That's why we say that, another reason. But anyway, they, they, they say, verse 9, verse 10, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Oh, man. These 24 elders, they not only say that they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, right? But they also say about themselves that God has made them kings and priests. Well, we know that's the church. We're told that in the New Testament. And we're told that we will reign with him. So, and God and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. I got to tell you, people, there's a, still enough competitiveness in me, as I mentioned last week, that I, I love that verse because one day all of the people who hate Christians, hate the church, hate Jesus, hate the Bible, they're going to know that we are running things. <laughs> you know, under, under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will reign with him on the earth. Big wake-up call coming, folks. That's all I got to say on that. Verse 11, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. When John mentioned the, the tens of thousands and thousands of thousands, the greatest number in the Greek language is, um, I think, 10,000 myriads. But they have no number, let's put it like this, they have no number that like we do for millions or billions or good billions, like we say. There was an innumerable number praising the Lord at the end of this. Listen, worship is the normal atmosphere in heaven, and it is the normal attitude of life of those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The throne room of God is an active, energetic experience of God in all his worthiness and holiness. 
Listen here, worship is not limited to and sometimes not experienced in church services. Now, at the end of my statement there, I've got a pre-emoji symbol. You remember what it is. It's the capital O, like my mouth is open, and the uh, little, I think it's a colon, the two dots over that, like like a little face going like, (gasps) (laughs) let's face it. We have sometimes a hard time worshiping in church. If you all the time have that problem, the problem may be with you. But, but listen, church is not the only place where we ought to be worshiping the Lord. It ought to happen every day, everywhere we go, when we are reminded of him and see him at work. Now, all of this wonder and worship will give way to the outpouring of the wrath of the Lamb on the earth dwellers who loathe and despise God and are repulsed at the thought of worshiping the Lamb. All of the universe will worship Him except the rebellious orbiting graveyard called Earth. There's nothing left for God to do but declare a long-delayed war on Satan, demons, and a rebellious, Jesus-hating, Bible-mocking planet, and that is exactly what we will see unfold in the next episode in Revelation 6. Now, we're done, but I'm going to ask you a question. Where are you spiritually? Is your citizenship in heaven because you have repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ and been born a second time? Or are you only an earth dweller because you refuse to bow your heart to Jesus Christ and have spurned his offer of forgiveness and you're heading for an eternal hell? You are one or the other right now. If you are only an earth dweller, even if you say, but I'm a religious earth dweller, whatever, you are running out of time. Write this phone number down and call it. You will be speaking with a Christian ministry who can lead you to Jesus. 888-388-2683. Call that number and someone will help you. Now, if the Lord doesn't come first, and that's starting to feel like a possibility, and if I'm still alive, I'll be back next week with episode five in Revelation chapter six in our series, Revelation, God Rules. Please like this episode, follow the podcast, and share it right now with somebody so they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Bye-bye.